0: hey you know that's all that matters if i was stagnant then this would be boring already and people would be over it mosquitoes be gathering
1: because stagnant water breeds mosquitoes. <laughs> I like, what i was
0: thinking like <laughs> i was thinking like um like flies when something dies like that's what i was thinking. <laughs> no, I was thinking of the breeding
1: time frame of mosquitoes,
0: which I now know is not normal. Okay. There are two people.
1: <laughs> Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down, talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Trussler and Emily Gummery. All right,
0: let's get this show started. So I did mind more like a story this time. Um, and I know it sounds like I'm trying to like repeat what Whitley did last week, but I had this written before Whitley did hers. So don't come at me. I call but, BS, um, huh? <laughs> I said, I call <laughs> BS. I will pull up my Google doc, uh, <laughs> timeline. And then we will know, listen, I have the receipts always.
1: No, I believe you, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, um, it was just so good of a story. Again, I found this on like history and memes, really they're doing their job (laughs) Like (laughs) that whoever runs that account chef's kiss. Um, if you don't follow them, don't follow them because then you'll know what stories we do. Um, (laughs) but, but, uh, so here we go. All right. Today we are traveling to New York city. To discuss how some of the nation's most confined and negatively impacted individuals rose above their stereotypes to become heroes. Oh, this sounds exciting already. Yes, yes. So it all starts at LaGuardia Airport on February 1st, 1957. Northeast Airlines Flight 823 is scheduled to depart for Miami International Airport in Florida. The flight was originally scheduled to depart at 2.45 p.m., but was pushed back to 6 p.m. due to snowfall. snowfall. The flight was nearly full, with 95 passengers and six crew members, and that includes Captain Alva Marsh, a 19-year transport veteran, so this is important, okay? That that's the captain.
1: Like, so, to- so they have done this job for nineteen years, not nineteen years
0: old. Uh, no, 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 not nineteen years old. Like, okay. has 19 years of experience. Okay, yeah.
1: perfect. I was going to be concerned if it was a nineteen-year-old, but go ahead. <laughs> no, uh,
0: that would make this story a lot worse. Honestly, I think. Oh, cool, um, but. So total weight of this was 98,575 pounds. I did not know until I did the research for this, that maximum takeoff weight for an aircraft is 98,840 pounds. Wait a minute. So they were like only like two or 300 pounds off from maximum weight. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the aircraft experienced some sliding of the nose wheel due to snow on the pavement, but it was cleared for takeoff. So just a little bit of slipping and sliding, otherwise perfectly fine.
1: Put her in four wheel drive. Let's go.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or what is it like six wheel drive? Um, by all accounts, this was a normal takeoff and the crew did not experience any issues once in the air, everything retracted as it should. So, they are gaining altitude while relying on their instruments since they had no outside visibility. So, basically, because it was so snowy and everything was so dense, like clouds and stuff, um, they couldn't see. So, they had to fully rely on radar, um, all the mechanics in the cockpit to be able to fly in the right direction. The aircraft, aircraft's clearance instructed it to proceed northeast the plane began to gradually turn to the left. And when it was nearly due West, it overflew Rikers Island. Dun, dun, dun. For those of you that don't know, it's a prison. Um, so, I mean, some people might not know, like, I don't know how you haven't heard about Rikers Island, but some people might not have. Um, the altitude... The altitude they were flying at did not allow them to clear the trees on the island, causing the craft to crash, coming to rest 1,500 feet from its impact point. Whitley, this all took place within 60 seconds from takeoff. And. Oh, from takeoff. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. All of the tap. Like they got up in the air went the wrong direction, and crashed into Rikers Island within 60 seconds. Great. Yes. Wonderful. Also resulted in 20 passenger fatalities, 78 injuries among the passengers, and several injuries but no fatalities among the crew.
1: It just hit me. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Keep going. I was going to say, I think the weight thing of the plane hit me, but I don't think it did. So never mind. I was gonna say, oh, oh my God, the plane crashed and then prisoners got on it and then they flew again. But that's not how plane crashes work. So continue. I'm dumb. Let's go.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. That's like a Hollywood movie. That's how it happened in Hollywood. Yeah, but not in real life, Whitley. Happened in 1957. Um so Rikers Island department personnel and prison trustees so um, for those of you who don't know, my boyfriend is a, a, a prison corrections officer. So I feel like I know some things. And I also watch like prison documentaries on TV. Um, but a prison trustee, if you don't know, are inmates who have good behavior and have proven to be trustworthy. And so they are given special jobs, permissions, et cetera, due to their status. So sometimes that involves them um, like getting better work details Um, just kind of like an incentive to have good behavior is how I would describe it. Um, but they ran out to try to help survivors. And now obviously first reaction is you're letting prisoners who have committed a crime who are in prison for committing said crime out in terrible weather where they could run away. Yes, that's exactly what Rikers Island Department officials decided to do. And I know we're all surprised. It was pretty much fine. So because of their quick action and willingness to help of the 57 inmates who assisted, 30 were released. Oh, 16 received a reduction in their sentence by 6 months from the New York City parole board. And then uh W Averill Harriman was the governor at the time. He granted commutation of sentence to 11 men serving definite sentences. Two of those 11 received a 6 months reduction. And then one person who had been sentenced to a workhouse and 8 penitentiary definites became eligible for immediate release what is a definite like i would i took it as they were on um like they were in there for life like lifers or they were potentially on like death row but okay. i could, i couldn't like find i couldn't find that answer okay
1: I, w- I was assuming that definites was probably life sentence. So we'll just,
0: we'll roll with that. Let's go with life sentence. Um, So this goes to show that in cases that matter, good deeds can get rewarded. Um, But due to scant official records, the public was only aware of 11 out of 57 inmates names who helped. So they didn't know 46 names. They only knew 11 of them which I feel like is kind of sad um, because those 46 people still did just as much work as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, they can go to sleep at night knowing that they did something good. Um, so I didn't want to end it there because like me, I'm sure you're asking like, how the hell does this plane crash when everything was perfectly fine? Like what happens? So I did some more research because I'm a private eye. Just kidding. I just Googled. Um, But this is what happened. So an investigation by the Civil Aeronautics Board was impeded by a lack of info about what happened within the aircraft in its final seconds. And that's mainly because flight data and cockpit voice recorders were not routinely installed at this time. So those items, um, especially like black boxes, like I know whenever there's a plane crash, like you hear a lot on the news of people looking for black boxes. That's what this is. Basically is like your flight data and your cockpit recordings um, gets stored in this black box. In 1957, I know we're all shocked (laughs) that was not being installed in all planes. So the... SAB or CAB is like, what the heck are we supposed to do? Like, we have to figure, like now we have to figure out what happened without all of that kind of stuff. So ultimately the board found that the probable cause was quote, the failure of the captain to one, properly observe and interpret his flight instruments and two maintain control of his aircraft, end quote. So like me, I'm sure you're like, what the heck does that mean? Because we don't do like, you know, flying of airplanes. Um, Basically, this meant he lost partial awareness of where the aircraft um, or when the aircraft gained altitude and entered the clouds. So he wasn't able to detect or correct the course of deviation. So he basically, in more layman's terms than that, he couldn't see where he was going therefore he couldn't correct what he didn't know. So he just kept flying west instead of flying east. I mean that that makes sense right but I feel like not to like I mean not to shit on him because you know things happen and mistakes get made especially when you're flying like in a partial snowstorm. But I feel like at 19 years like you're a 19 year veteran I feel like you should know how to utilize your like compasses and radar and stuff to make sure you at least know like east from west. I get it, it happens, but at the same time, like you should be able to know how to do it. So I scoured the internet, probably the most I've scoured the internet for anything. And I, Could not find out what happened to Captain March. I don't know if he was fired. I don't know if he kept flying. Um, I even, and you know, I went far because I went far enough to click on a Fox News article. Okay. That's rough. Yes. That's how far I went for this story. And I still couldn't find anything on what happened to him. So if you know Captain March and you know what happened... (laughs) let me know because I feel bad not having like a resolution, especially when the CAB said that it was his fault. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't have, I mean, there were like all kinds of, um, news sources and outlets from New York that were posting like articles online about it. And I, I I literally don't know how they just like, didn't, put in any of the stories what happened to him but they didn't it's a mystery so there's the 1957 rike plane crash i, I thought you- that like all of
1: these prisoners were gonna somehow like escape and like go on a violent crime spree but now i see why you said if it was a 19 year old pilot it would have been much
0: worse oh yeah Well, and to be fair, a couple of the sources I read said that, so they interviewed um, one of the main Rikers Island employees who made the decision to let the trustees out to help. And he did say that there were rumors that some of the inmates were escaping, but that was just like a decision that they had to live with. Mm -hmm. But again, no literally i need to talk to journalists because like what are you doing this is like when nihilus tells me a story and i'm like but what what, did you ask this person he's like well i didn't think to ask that like what do you mean you didn't think to ask this but they did not ask him or confirm if there really were any prisoners that left there was no follow-up question like you heard this rumor when you got back and you did like your, your count, were there people missing? Didn't say, didn't ask no nothing. I have no idea. So there could be potentially in 1957, a couple prisoners, like, you know, just be bopping down the street, but I have <laughs> no idea because the journalists didn't ask.
1: Well, maybe they shouldn't have been a journalist then.
0: <laughs> yeah. And like, he's not dumb the first, the first rule of like dealing with journalists is like to not give up more information than what they're asking. So of course he's not going to be like, and don't, don't worry. Only three of them escaped. Like, you know what I mean? So I don't know. There's a lot to keep that on the DL. Yeah. So there's a lot of information I don't have, (laughs) but (laughs) I felt like it was such a like heartwarming story because there were still so many people that helped regardless of if a few escaped or not. So, um, and there was, um, there was an article I read where this family was on the plane with their, he was like two years old. And then a baby, like a baby that like they had to hold and they couldn't put in its own seat and they were on fire and so was the baby and the, like when they crashed yeah. and the only Thing they could think to do was throw the baby out into the snow to try to make sure that it didn't burn and they interviewed the baby like years later because he lived oh wow due to the fact that that one of the inmates stepped on him that's how they found him because he went into the snow oh and um He picked him up and brought him back to where like all the, everybody was. And one of the guards said that the inmate did not let anyone touch the baby unless it was like a medical personnel. And he stood like with the baby the whole time. But the sad part was, was because of the lack of documenting, he had no idea what the man's name was. Hmm. But he was like, I'm alive today because of that inmate. And yeah, I was like, oh, God, like crying at my job.
1: (laughs) Could you imagine just stepping on a baby, like buried in the snow? And you're like, oh,
0: my God. Yeah. Could you imagine? (laughs) Like that doesn't happen every day, especially at Rikers Island.
1: Well, because of my last story on the Finnish ski trooper and the questions that came up about the winter war that happened between the Soviet Union and Finland from 1939 to 1940 and then there was a gap and then they started fighting again in 1941 super fun um i'll dig into those details and why that happened but i just thought it'd be a fun little history lesson to just go through this conflict okay yeah so less than two years before the Soviet Union faced off against Nazi Germany during World War II, they waged a war with their Nordic neighbor, Finland. And on the last episode, we had to, you know, pull up some maps and um, figure out how these countries were connected. So I'll just say like Northwest Russia connects to Finland, they share a border. We'll include a map this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we can also share a map of the territories that were swapped between the two countries. I I have a map that I'm looking at right now um, for my own context. But essentially, in 1939, Joseph Stalin aimed to expand his influence across Eastern Europe. Shocking. I mean, not really. The Soviet Union was trying to spread communism all over Eastern Europe. So this is... For sure, and they they did the same thing with Finland. They were concerned about attacks by the Germans because you know, conveniently there's also a world war happening what? at the same time. I know crazy. I had no idea. So Stalin basically asked Finland to cede sixteen miles of their territory along the Karelian isthmus to create a buffer zone around Leningrad, Russia, which is kind of a major city on the western side of Russia. So essentially, he was like, there's not enough land around Leningrad. I'm scared of Hitler, kind of, you know, that was kind of my vibe I was getting. Which is crazy to think (laughs) that they were scared of anyone. (laughs) Yeah, no way. Um, But along with this, Stalin also asked for several islands in the Gulf of Finland as well as for Finland to lease territory on the Hanko Peninsula, so he could build a naval base. So oh, I'm sure
0: <laughs> lease.
1: Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah, he was going to take it. Is what he's going to do. One hundred percent. So now the Soviet Union wasn't trying to be a terrible deal maker. They they offered a large chunk of Russian territory as part of the deal, but Finland was like nah stalin i don't believe that this seems a little fishy so they rejected the offer so after (laughs) negotiations failed the soviet red army was just like all right well we're just going to invade finland and they did so on november 30th 1939 because finland wouldn't agree to give this little bit of land russia had asked for in return for some russian land that they were going to give finland
0: this is a good like a good definition or a good example of like world war ii in a nutshell i asked for some land and they said no so now i'm going to invade them like that's literally (laughs) world war ii yeah
1: synopsis for those who have not heard of world war ii that's the synopsis (laughs) um so yeah this is what becomes the winter war and of course finland is Completely outnumbered by the Soviet Red Army, that's not that shocking. The Soviet Union's huge, yeah. um, but the Finns did have the advantage. You know, they had that home field advantage. They're, they're in Finland. It's their tor- ter- territory. You know, they've got access to what they need. Oh, it's fair. So, basically, the way Finland defended themselves is they hunkered down in a network of trenches, concrete bunkers. And field fortifications on the Karelian Isthmus. And they continued to beat back the Soviet tank assaults that were coming into the land.
0: Good they also.
1: Finland. Oh, I know. It's impressive. But also, as we discussed on the last episode, Finland had ski troops in the rugged winter landscape, which offered them another really great force of fighters that. The Red Army really didn't have any defense against. So,
0: which I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. No, you're fine. Go ahead. But that surprises me due to the fact that Russia also has such harsh winters that they wouldn't think to put troops on skis.
1: Well, it's really not so much that. So how the ski troops of Finland would work, they would conduct kind of guerrilla warfare hit and run attacks on isolated Soviet troops. Who mm-hmm. were separated from the rest of the army? So mm-hmm. the freezing Finnish winter, which, like you mentioned, like Soviet Union does have harsh winters as well, but they're the Red Army, right? So guess what color they're wearing um, in the snow?
0: Um. Oh my God, this is such a hard question. Um, would you say like red, maybe? yeah like the worst color
1: you could probably wear in snowy terrain yeah that <laughs> color um so they were easy to spot in the snow and there is a report of one finnish sniper he was a farmer named simo he eventually was credited with over 500 kills of soviets holy shit yeah he was farming and shooting farming and oh, shooting. a guy So they fought basically from November 1939 through February 1940. So it's fairly short, Um, but Finland was ultimately no match for the numbers that were deployed by the Soviet army. So in February of 1940, the Soviets launched one of the largest military bombardments since World War I to overrun the Finnish defenses on the Karelian Isthmus. And running low on ammunition, and obviously the troops are just completely tired from being on constant defense. Finland agreed to peace terms the following month. So in March 1940. I don't blame them. (laughs) So the thing that sucks for Finland is the treaty that ended the Winter War forced Finland to give 11% of its territory to the Soviet Union. But the good thing is they did maintain their independence. But because they maintain their independence, this is not great for the Soviet Union and Russia, because guess what? Now they're still able to come back again in 1941 and start fighting with you again on your border as Nazi Germany is making their way east. Oh,
0: boy. So. Sure, Stalin was kicking himself for that treaty. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But also the heavy
1: cost that came to the Soviet Union and not like monetary but just 3 months of fighting the red army suffered over 300,000 casualties compared to only around 65,000 for finland that's kind of
0: embarrassing
1: yes it is only and
0: i'm and like no shade to finland whatsoever but hold on um like no shade but Like, they're so small compared to, like, Russia. Like, like that's embarrassing. (laughs) Yes.
1: Well, it's also believed that the Red Army's poor performance in the Winter War against Finland is a key factor in why Hitler believed that his June 1941 invasion of the Soviet Union would
0: be easy and it would be a success Hmm. so there's a lot of mistakes snowballing yeah because i always wondered what made him decide to invade one of his like allies and now i like that makes sense yeah i mean i think we'd all be thinking the same thing yeah like oh you look weak now i'm taking your ass
1: (laughs) so this is where we transition now from the Winter War, which is the original conflict between Russia slash Soviet Union and Finland, and the Continuation War, which is like Winter War Part Two, basically, but it just has a different name. Okay. <laughs> so really, the people of Finland were defeated, but they really didn't undergo any major changes in their country. So, of course, to move forward, they were like, okay, so what we're going to do is work on taking in those 400,000 refugees from the territories that we had to give over to Stalin. But also we're oh, going to just... didn't uh... take the people? No, they were just trying to get them back
0: from... Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I see. Those I people like, were just moving into... going to literally them. be like, you take the people, I'll take the land?
1: No, 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 no. They were just basically absorbing all the people who were trying to leave because it was now Soviet territory. So... And not shockingly, they also said, oh, we're going to we're going to rearm. You know, we're going to use this time to rebuild our military and ammunitions. I mean, as anyone would. Yeah, of course. So even though Stalin got his territory, of course, he couldn't like stay out of their business. They continued to meddle in finish affairs. So they demanded demilitarization of the Åland Islands, control of the Petsamo nickel mines, ousting of some finnish leaders and one last big thing to shuttle troops through finland to reach their newly acquired land and naval base at hanko so
0: am i not listening or i thought they they maintained their independence so like how is russia how is russia like making all these demands in terms of their affairs because russia is just slash soviet union are just aggressive soviet union sorry
1: yeah and just okay so i just want to quickly go over this soviet union versus russia thing so the soviet union which you probably know this but just for listeners no you're fine make sure they don't get confused it's mainly me (laughs) the soviet union is a cluster of all these communist countries and it's the government over all of these countries and then right. Russia is a country within the Soviet Union so it's not that the Soviet Union later became named Russia or vice versa Russia always existed Soviet Union is the umbrella kind of for all these communist countries in the east that are slowly gotcha. coming into control so a organization Pops up within Finland called the Finnish Soviet Peace and Friendship Society, which was a Aww. communist front organization. <laughs> Don't oh. all? No. That awe. quickly gained 35,000 Finnish members, and they were conducting sub- subversive activities to openly defy the Finnish government, essentially.
0: I take my awe back.
1: <laughs> they do have a nice name, though. They do. It sounds really nice. Mm-hmm. But they were eventually banned in August of 1940 to preserve public order. But on other matters of concerns to the Soviets, the Finnish government was forced to make more concessions. However, unknown to the Soviets, the Finns had an agreement with Germany that they struck in 1940, August 1940, that stiffened their
0: resolve against the Soviet Union. So they're they're feeling confident. I'm not one to back the nazis but in this certain one percent like aspect i'm happy there was somebody to help finland
1: yeah finland is honestly like just in a weird spot geographically like an unfortunate spot where they're facing this weird position where they're gonna have to take sides in this war whether they want to or not because russia is being so aggressive
0: Yeah. What I'd like to like, this is going to make me have like a secondary topic or you can take it or whatever, but I would be interested to know how this impacted like Sweden and Norway Mm -hmm. since they are also connected to Finland.
1: Yeah. I don't know much about that. That would be very interesting to know as well. Cause I didn't even know before this, that Finland was really that involved.
0: Yeah, you don't you, and you never really hear about this like this um, conflict between Finland and Russia. So no, hmm.
1: um, I'm intrigued, but not shockingly, Hitler started to see the value of Finland as an access point and a staging ground for his troops to eventually invade the Soviet Union, and like I just mentioned, they struck a German-Finnish agreement in August of 1940. That allowed Germany the right to send its troops by railroad through Finland in order to facilitate Germany's, Germany's reinforcements of its forces in northern Norway. So there's actually one one note about Norway. Um, mm. An additional agreement between the two in December 1940 led to the stationing of German troops in Finland. So at first they were just allowed to like transport stuff through Finland. But now they're allowed to actually station German troops officially within Finland. Hmm. So hmm. the public in Finland really didn't know much about the agreements with Germany, but they approved the pro-German policy because they were all like, I just want our territory back from Russia. We're all mad at Russia. So like they're like pro-German, Russia sucks, like whatever gets us our land back. Fair. So... Now the tides have turned because, like you mentioned earlier, once an ally of Germany, the Soviet Union is now facing invasion in 1941 by the German militaries, who are also now backed by the Finland troops who are so destructive to them in this like short three month winter war. Now, so it's not looking
0: good
1: Yes, it's not looking great. So at first Finland let Germany initially invade in June of 1941 because Finland didn't want to be seen as aggressive. So they're being really strategic here. They just kind of want to cover their asses like because they don't want to be part of this, but they Mm -hmm. kind of got forced into being part of this. So three days later after the initial invasion by Germany of Soviet Union, Finland receives a bunch of aerial attacks against them from Russia. So they're like, well, okay, now we have the pretext needed for us to join the war. So here we come. So they waited until it would be seen as they were defending themselves, which is really smart on their part. It is. So this was called, like I mentioned earlier, the Continuation War, essentially, because it's just part two of the Winter War. and. It began as a defensive strategy designed to provide a german counterweight to soviet pressure and it ended as an offensive strategy aimed at invading the soviet union to take their land back so that's just part of that strategy that finland's employing again so in july 1941 which again not very long after you know This all started in June with Germany and Russia. The Finnish army began a major offensive on the Karelian Isthmus and north of Lake Ladoga, which is on the coast of Finland. And by the end of August 1941, they had already reached their pre-war boundaries. So they already like got back. So again, another embarrassing setback for the Soviet Union. And then by December 1941 the Finnish forces had advanced and reached the outskirts of Leningrad, which is that city that Stalin, it, it kind of started everything he wanted that land to buffer Leningrad, but guess what now now Finland's like invading Leningrad. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of 1941, the front was stabilized and the Finns did not conduct another major offensive operation for the next two and a half years. So basically they're like, we got what we wanted. We're done. Yeah. But now they're between this rock and a hard place because on one end, they're fighting with the Nazis. They're like actively helping the Nazis. But Western allies really had ambivalent feelings overall because they were torn between understanding that Finland is just in an awful situation and a geographical nightmare, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also like, well... We should probably, be, probably like support Soviet Union because they're actually our ally, like officially. So, only because they flip-flopped. Exactly. Sorry, I'm gonna have to cut this because there's like two paragraphs that I'm like, maybe I'll just cut these out.
0: <laughs> That's fine. I've been muting myself so I can yell at my dog, <laughs> so it's okay. Ah, okay, these are actually important paragraphs.
1: So in 19... 19- <laughs> I might cut them. Well, wait, hold on. So in 1943, the Germans were defeated at Stalingrad, pushing Finland to seek way out of the war. So now the tides are turning against Finland again. So like they've now been two and a half years. They haven't had to do anything. And they're like, oh, Jesus Christ, come on now. So they're like, okay, well, we we got to get out of this war, like we're done. So negotiations were conducted intermittently between Finland on the one side, and the Soviet Union with the Western Allies on the other from 1943 to 1944, but they never reached an agreement. Of course they didn't. So as a result, in June 1944, the Soviets opened a powerful offensive against Finnish positions on the Karelian Isthmus, so on the second day of the offenses, Soviet forces broke through the Finnish lines, and they started to make advances that threatened the survival of Finland. They managed to stop this advance in early July. And but again this is kind of funny it brought them back to the 1940 boundary where they lost land to Russia. So basically, they lost land to Russia, gained it back. And now they lost it again because the Germans started to like really suck at fighting. Poor uh, Finland. It's all that mess. One hundred percent. So in September of nineteen forty-four, they reached a preliminary peace agreement between the Soviet Union and Finland. The major term severely limited Finnish sovereignty. And the borders of the 1940 original like Winter War agreement were reestablished officially. Which, like, how that, how to me, how is that fair? It's not. It sucks for Finland. Like yeah. they got screwed big time. Like that's not right. And on top of that, in the agreement, which makes sense, Finland was forced to remove all German troops from the territory.
0: Okay. One hundred percent. Yeah, makes a lot that. of sense. Everything you said before that is bullshit.
1: Agree, well, they also got some extra land leased to the Soviets for fifty years. Um, so they actually, in addition to the nineteen forty territory, they also got like a couple extra little peninsulas included, so they got actually a little bit more. The Soviets did
0: even more yeah. bullshit,
1: yes, so kind of just to sum this all up um. In the end really sucked for finland but it could have been a lot worse they did try to be strategic and like stay out of the war as much as they could um while like also trying to survive as a nation but they agreed to pay reparations to the soviet union they held crimes trials and they also had to agree to check-ins by the allied control commissions to adherence to the preliminary peace agreement.
0: So hold on, because this is now going to be our first 2022 controversial episode. Tell me how Russia invaded Finland first. And Finland's the one that has to pay reparations. Yeah, it, like they I, I, were, this whole thing started because Finland was defending itself. It didn't even go into the continuation war until after again Russia or the Soviet Union like attacked them first. So why are we paying re- like I'm saying we like I'm a, like I'm finished, but like why are we paying reparations? It seems to me that it was
1: really because they were negotiating with the West and the Soviet Union in this
0: peace agreement. So I think it's kind of like... they just happened to be friends with Germany? I mean... Yeah, I I think it's partially
1: punishment for
0: allowing the Germans access through their land.
1: What what are they going to do?
0: Nothing until Japan bombed us. I mean, that's kind of on us. Yeah, but
1: also what bothers me is that The United States actually really supported Finland during this time because Finland had always made their payments on their World War one debt. Shocking that it's like money
0: motivated, but still, I, I hate it here,
1: but they also earned respect from Western nations because they did not allow the extension of Nazi anti-Semitic practices in Finland. Jews were not only tolerated in Finland, but Jewish refugees were allowed asylum there. And strangely enough, Finnish Jews fought in the Finnish army on the side of Hitler. So like in Finland's defense, it wasn't that bad of a deal for them. They got extra forces to fight off the Soviet Union, but they restricted like the murderous part of the Nazi regime. Not murderous, but, you know, anti-Semitic.
0: Right. And I'm curious how a couple things I am upset and appalled that we spent that time saying like, Oh my gosh, like Finland, we love you. We hear you. We're here for you. If you need to chit chat, but like, we're not going to help you. So you have to find help from Hitler appalled 2 I'm appalled because we did all that. And then we turn around and say, Hmm, we didn't help you but Hitler did, but now you have to give almost all your land to to the Soviet Union and you have to pay them money. Um how's that fair? Three, I am genuinely curious how they got Hitler to agree to allow them to take to keep and take in Jews.
1: There needs to be more research, but like if I just had to guess thinking through it logically, That maybe that was part of the agreement of Germany to be able to use Finland as a staging area for its military is that Finland maybe put their foot down like we don't agree with this. Like we will grant you access without pushing back, but
0: like this, these are our terms. But like how many other countries did they do that with and they said no so then they just took them by force. So like yeah Finland seems like a good fighter. I'm not going to lie. They kept off the Soviet Union for how long, but like Germany also had at the beginning anyway, a very good military and they were fighting in ways that people hadn't seen before.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, there really wasn't an incentive or I personally don't see one for germany to agree to finland's terms because if they didn't agree they could just literally take their country or at least try to so i'm just wondering like how that was how how that was fine in other countries it wasn't
1: yeah it seems like from what i'm looking at right now um that finland approached the german troops for assistance with the idea in mind that like german troops would gain a key access point Mm. to eastern
0: europe through finland so maybe kind of like a like when you dangle a carrot like they didn't see anything else they just saw the carrot so maybe they weren't worried about everything else
1: yeah maybe hmm but that's, that, those are all great questions
0: um, about. I just feel like that's too simple for World War II. <laughs> like, I agree. Not... Like there has to, there just has to be more. Nothing was that simple. No. And this is like a great example of how
1: nothing was simple because to us, this seems very straightforward. Like Finland was just in a tough position. You know, they're a small mm-hmm. country among these giants and they're just trying to survive this war and then we're punishing them beyond reason yeah like i think that's bullshit but yeah that's i just thought that'd be helpful context now we all know that's more about a, i like that it's interesting okay. i didn't realize you know you don't always think about the
0: conflicts within conflicts that are happening mm-hmm. in, in these major events no and i always like thinking about it now like i feel kind of bad that like the small like i, I hate to call them small because they're not small but like the smaller in comparison countries, Mm -hmm. um, don't get as much, like, I don't want to say credit, but like talking time, um, actually it is credit, like credit for their contributions one Mm -hmm. way or the other. You know what I mean? Like we don't, we don't really talk about them. And so, I mean, Finland deserves its time in the sunshine.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, obviously I wasn't there for it because I'd be really old. Uh, but I, (laughs) i know that's how time works but i feel sympathy for finland and Mm -hmm. what they had to go through um so i completely understand their decisions
0: in the war but yeah i'd love it if we had someone that was like from finland that listened to this to give us like their hot take of like kind of like what um because i'm curious like if it's talked about in schools there like how it's talked about and like how they describe like the relationship they had with with germany and also like their feelings on the outcome and like what they were made to to pay and give yeah
1: no that would be really really interesting and I because mean-
0: they seem like such a like like passive country almost um, almost kind of like how people describe Switzerland, like yeah, um, yeah, and so I would be curious, like their feelings on the whole situation,
1: yeah i I mean, I'd be curious really, to hear any side of history from anybody in the u s yeah, exactly.
0: and <laughs> our um, propaganda that we feed ourselves,
1: yes, history is told by the winners, unfortunately.